Well, good morning. I like that because there's this question, right? Which pill are you taking? Which path are you going to follow? Right? Are you going to follow the one that presents truth, that presents hope, inevitably presents life? Are you going to go what's real, no longer enter into the simulation? Or are you going to pick the path that's easier, even knowing it leads to death? What are you going to choose? And we may think that's obvious, like, oh, it's easy, like everyone picks the same one. But we actually see later on in the movie, one of his very own crew members betrays Neo because he's like, nah, I want it easier. I want to get back in. This is too much work. And so what we're going to see today is, even though we are not in the Matrix, I hope, is that in Romans, just like Neo, we're presented with two very different paths, two very different choices, two very different lines that lead to two very different things. One path leads to life, one path leads to death. And so Paul is beginning to present these two, and he's beginning to say, which path are we in? Which path will we follow? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be starting off in Romans chapter 5. And as you do, let me set the scene for you, because um, I want to let you know where we're going. So it's good for us. We're finishing up our, our reading of Romans. We're finishing up our study in Romans with this last section, Romans 5 through 8. And you may be thinking, we're finishing this in 5 through 8. That sounds strange. Yep, but that's how we're doing it. Okay, because here's the nice thing. Romans 5 through 8 is actually a great way to end it because it's, it's the peak. It's the pinnacle. We kind of see it all come at the end, uh, and it's presented with these solutions to the problems that the weak and strong in the Roman churches are facing. And so we kind of get this. We've been reading Romans slightly differently. We, instead of starting in chapter 1, we started at chapter 16, and we're trying to do this for a purpose. So let me break down real quick uh, where we've been and where we're going. So Romans, it breaks down like this, and if you have your notes, here's how it's going to be. 12 through 16 is the first section. That's where we started. 12 through 16, that's the context, right? That's where we started there. Um, 12 through 16, it introduces Phoebe to us, right? In the very first two verses, we get Phoebe. She's a letter carrier. She's a letter reader. We get that uh, point of context. We also get to see all the different churches in there, what they're made up of, who's, who's in them, and we can see that these are very diverse churches. But most importantly, we read this last section because it's in this last section that we are introduced to the weak and the strong. The weak and the strong, right? We need this context as we read Romans because we didn't live it, right? We don't know what was going on the same way they did, but now reading it this way, we're introduced to the weak and the strong, and we know that the weak were generally Jewish Christians in Rome, uh, they, they followed the Torah, right? They ate the leafy vegetables. They didn't do the sacrifices, stuff like that. And then we know the strong were generally the Gentile Christians. And, and they, the, the names I think we often think of are a little more spiritual. And while there's an element of that, the biggest reason the names are there is for social power. The weak Christians were weak in social power. They didn't have any status. They didn't have any say. They were low on the totem pole. Whereas the strong, they had a little more. And that's important to, for us to remember as we continue reading. Well, the next section we went through was 9 through 11. And the reason we do 9 through 11 is we get the narrative approach to Romans. So we kind of get the story. What's going on? Why is this tension happening? We get, we get kind of more word pictures of what's going on. So you get this whole remnant of Israel idea, which was, is a lot to take in. You get the mental picture of the 
the broken branches and the wild ones being grafted in. You get this narrative. From there, we finally, after reading basically half the, half the entire chapter, or book, now we started at Romans 1. We're like, okay, now we'll go back to Romans 1 through 4, only after reading the second half. But it's because at Romans 1 through 4, we get Paul's rebuttal. Romans 1 through 4, what we get here is Paul's rebuttal. Paul's rebuttal to what? Well, Paul's rebuttal to the claim that the weak were spiritually superior, spiritually privileged to the strong. Remember the weak, they're called the weak because they don't have any social power. And this is a, a society that's dominated by power and status. And they don't have any. And so to get some back, in the church, they've been putting themselves up as the ones who are spiritually superior. They're like, hey, we're, we're Jews, we're Israelites, like we have the history on our side, like we are the chosen people. They've been judging the strong. They've been putting themselves up above the strong. And so chapters one through four is, is for Paul, it's his rebuttal to the weak's claim there. He's saying, hey, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. That's not helping with the problem. That's, that's causing more problems. Now we get to where we are today five through eight five through eight i think is a great place to end because it's the section on lived theology so it's the section on lived theology this is where we get full of solutions to the problems going on we get to see how we're supposed to live together paul talks about how they're supposed to live um, towards the public right how they're supposed to live towards the empire how they're supposed to live towards unbelievers how they're supposed to live towards their little pocket communities all around them. He's talking about how to be a model citizen, how to, how to be upright, how to not cause any problems, how to live as uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. But he also then turns the focus back in on the church. He also says the second part of a live theology is towards other believers. And this is key too. This is a life that's marked by opening and welcoming fellowship. A lived theology is also open and welcome fellowship. It, it shades back to that idea of coming to the table and staying at the table, right? If, if you guys are living your theology, you need to be getting along. You need to be building something. And then, of course, you need to be supporting the mission of the church. So real quick, I want to set up this because this is where we'll be going for the next few weeks. Romans uh, 5 through 8 is broken up into four modes of conversation. Four modes of conversation, and this is how we'll be doing it. The first is the generic all. So anytime Paul's talking, and he's talking about a wide range of people, he says, all of you, or many of you, that's where we're going today. So all, all the passages, oh, all the passages about all. All the passages about all. Next week, Jim's going to be looking at the you sections. That's a little more pointed, right? That's when Paul's like, you need to figure it out you need to be loving you need to do these the you the focusing on when paul's talking to them and what they need to be doing the third one is the we section now paul's back into the conversation right we as christians need to live this sort of way we as christians need to love each other we as christians blank and then finally one last i section now paul's taking it all to himself so these are the four sections and this is how we'll close out romans but today, we're going to just stick to the all. We're going to stick to the generic all. And let me warn you, uh, it's a little much to handle, okay? It's a lot to handle. I'm pretty sure Jim looked at the preaching schedule. He saw this one, and he said, I'm going to Mammoth. Um, he's been known to do that, okay? So 
we've got a little bit to handle. We've got two passages. It's a lot in there, but there's one big idea. Okay, so that's what I'm hoping we can see. So let's turn to Romans. Hopefully you're at Romans 5. We're actually going to the second half of Romans 5. So we're looking at 12 through 21 first. And notice as we read it, all the different times he'll say something like all or many. It says this in Romans 12, or Romans 5, 12. It says there, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Okay, what do I do with that? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. Lot there. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, we get this idea of many. Many have fallen because of what Adam did, but many, how much more now are receiving because of the grace of Christ? Nor can the gift of God compare with the, with the results of one man's sin, right? Judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but again, the gift of many trespasses brought justification. For if the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will all those receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life to come? I hope you're noticing a pattern here. And I hope you notice that the last bit we're getting one way and all of a sudden in the second half of the sentence or the second half of the verse we're getting in a sense a different way we're getting adam's kind of what he brought to the table and then right afterwards we're getting what christ brought to the table a little foreshadowing for you verse 18 consequently uh, i just did that one uh, verse 20 the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Here's the big idea. That was a lot to take in. There's a lot of stuff in there. We could do a whole two-week seminary class on it. We're not going to. Instead, I want to focus on this one big idea here. In this all sections, the thing we see is there's two ways to live. Here's your big idea. There's two ways to live. Paul is presenting two different ways of life, and in a sense he's saying there's two different lines that you can follow, or two different lines you're brought into, right? One begins with Adam. I hope as you were reading, you were kind of seeing Adam was brought up time and time again, and usually what was following with Adam was something pretty negative, right? With Adam, there was sin. With Adam, there was death. The other one is Christ, and so with the line of Adam, uh, we get pain, we get loss, and in a sense we get tragedy, but then he, he, he always follows it up with the way of Christ is redemption from that very loss, that very pain, and that very tragedy. If you're following along on your notes on, and you see on the back, just like little tidbits for you as, as we're going on, the way of Adam, it involves sin. It involves death because that sin leads to death. And on the flip side, we see that the way of Christ involves grace. And that grace leads to eternal life. Two different sides counteracting. Right? Paul traces the origins of sin and death to Adam. Now, in this passage, he does not explain 
any more details about how it's introduced. He doesn't go into the, the fine details because the point of this passage is not about small fine details. Remember, this is the all section. This is about big scope. This is about wide range, right? And so he's not trying to get into the little details. The point of what he's doing here is to say all have sinned. He's saying all have sinned. The focus here is the scope. It's the bigness. Not how it all happened, but it's the truth that all have sinned. And likewise, in verse 14, Paul begins to, to, to pull this comparison right up to our face. He says that, that uh, Adam was a type of one to come. Adam was a type of one to come, and he begins referencing to Jesus. Adam is this type of one to come. And sometimes we hear Jesus called the second Adam, and there's this strangeness here. It feels sort of weird, because the, the word that Paul's using is meant to mean like a model right, or like a, like a, you know, something you would use to then build up another one just like it, to make copies from, and so Paul's saying, Adam, Adam, you don't mean that the other way around, Adam is the model of what's to come, he's the, he's the one that, that we're making copies out of, but Paul's using this intentionally because he wants us to, first of all, see the similarities here, but then more importantly, he wants to make it abundantly clear that Christ didn't come to be a, a, a perfect copy or a perfect comparison of Adam. Christ didn't come to be a simple copy. Jesus didn't come to duplicate Adam. He's trying to say, no, he's the second Adam because he came to overcome all that Adam brought into the world. He's saying he came to overcome this other way. What's the point? Why are we doing this besides just to, to just scribble notes super fast? Why is this here? This is confusing stuff. This is hard to grasp. What's the point of it? Well, I think the point that, that Paul's trying to make is he's trying to have everyone in those house churches in Rome and everyone that was going to read the letter later on to ask themselves this question. Which line am I in? Am I in the line of Adam or am I in the line of Christ? Which path am I on? Am I on the one that leads to sin? or leads to sins, that leads to sin, that leads to death? Or am I on the one that leads to grace, that leads to life? Which path am I on? And naturally, we all want to say what? I'm on the path of Christ. Right? I'm in the line of Jesus. Jesus saved me. I'm in the line of Jesus, right? I'm not, I'm not on the path of, uh, of death. I want the red pill, right? I, like, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm going. That's what we want, and that's what Paul's hoping for naturally not just because he cares about us and because that he wants good things for us but also because he wants us to think about it deeply so that we're ready for what comes next to take it seriously to contemplate it to sit in it to say okay i'm really in this path this is what this means and if i am in this line of jesus then i gotta start responding to it and that's where he gets to with the second all passage so turn in your bibles like one or two pages to romans chapter 8 flip over just a little bit more to Romans 8. Because here in Romans 5, we're just presented with this long list, these two paths. We're presented of all the trouble that the way of Adam causes and what it leads to is sin and, and death. And then we're presented with the line of Christ and, and what that means. And we're like, okay, that's a lot to take in. How am I handling this? What does that mean? And in Romans 8, he follows it up with, in a sense, more of now what that means for how, how we are to respond. And so in Romans 8, verse 1, he says this, and this is one of our favorite verses, but we won't get to spend too much time on it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Another trait of the line of Christ, right? No condemnation. That sounds nice. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And he so condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteousness, in order that the righteous requirement of law might be fully met in us who do not live by the flesh but according to the Spirit. We're getting another this or that. We get the flesh or the Spirit. Adam and the flesh. The line of Christ and the Spirit. But those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit does. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is peace. The mind governed by the Spirit, oh, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not even submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. Okay, again, the idea he, before is to sit on it, to think on it, to say, okay, I'm saying I'm in the line of Christ. I don't want the path that leads to death. I don't want the path that leads to sin. I want to be in the line of Christ. I want to be with him. I want grace. I want new life. I, I want that. But Paul's saying, okay, think deeply about it. Let it move you. Live your theology. Are you being controlled by the flesh or are you being controlled by the spirit? And he begins to lay it out a little bit more. Well, flesh is not obedient. So then they're, they're thinking, okay, the flesh is not obedient. He's saying flesh people have fleshy minds, meaning uh, our minds don't submit to the spirit. It, it, there, there's something important about the mind element. Instead, he says, live by the spirit. And we're just trying to grasp what is going on here. And, and thankfully, as, as kind of Bruce said before, when it came to communion, he's saying how this is all possible. Because we're all just like, okay, we're in, we want to get away from this. We want to be in the line of Christ, but how is that possible? How can I live by the Spirit? I, I don't want to live by the flesh. I don't want to hold on to these things, but how can I do that? He says in verse 3, what the law was powerless to do because it's weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of spiritual flesh. And he so condemned a sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of law uh, met, is met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but by the Spirit. So he's saying we can live by the Spirit. And here's how. He made a second Adam to overcome what Adam did. He gave someone to us who did it for us. Second uh, Corinthians 5.2 right, adds this. For his sake... For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's saying Christ did it. Jesus did it. Christ took on what he was not. He was not sin. But Christ took that on. In order, though, that we might become what we are not, righteous. We're not righteous, but he's saying Christ did it so that we may be righteous. So he's saying Jesus dies not only the death that we deserve, but he also picks us up and moves us from this line of Adam into the line of Christ. He's saying Jesus is the one to do it. He's saying you're not Neo, okay? You're not the main character. You're not the hero of the story. You're not the one everyone's supposed to follow. You're not the main character. He's saying you didn't do it. You can't do it. You want to be in the line of Christ? You didn't do it. You can't do it. You're not choosing it. You're not picking the red pill or the green pill. That's not what it is. He's saying, Jesus picked you up. He moved you over there. He did it. He took the death. 
I told Paul I would use Michael Jordan one time because he's a big Michael Jordan fan. So in 1990, during one game of the season, Michael Jordan, who is, was insane, dropped 69 points in one game over the Cleveland Cavaliers. 69 points. After the game, after a huge win, after a big performance, a reporter comes up and he decides to interview not Michael Jordan, but one of the role players named Stacy Keene. He goes up to Stacy King and he says, how are you going to remember this night? How are you going to remember Michael Jordan's epic performance? And it's interesting because, again, Stacy King was not Michael Jordan. He was not even a starter. I think he was the 12th man on the bench. He was spent most of the game just watching, basically, from the sidelines. It's almost like asking a fan, how are you going to remember this? And even though Stacey King was a role player, he's a role player with a, a sense of humor, and that night Stacey King only scored one point in the game. And so it made his response an instant classic to the question, how will you remember this night? Stacey King said, I'll always remember the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. <laughs> I'll always remember that. Right? He flips it, right? I'll always remember the night Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points. I don't know about you, but that math does not work out well for Stacey King right there. You know, it's a great response, but, but when you begin to dig into it a little bit, you see, okay, Michael Jordan scored 69, you scored one. If I, I'm, I'm, and I'm not the best basketball player in the world, but I, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure baskets are scored in twos and threes, right? So if you scored one point, that must mean you made zero baskets. And instead, you got, a free, you got two chances at a free throw, a free point. You made one of them. Okay, let's maybe not put yourself in the highlights, all right, if you scored one point. But this is what he's doing, and I think what it shows is, is the same feeling that we have. We want to be on the stat sheet, right? When it comes to salvation, when it comes to this, this work, we want to be Neo, we want to take the pill, we want to be the hero, we want to be the Michael Jordan, we want to be on the stat sheet. We want to be the one who, who is a part of the game, who, who, is, who, is, who is making the decisive decision. But Paul's saying, you're not Michael Jordan. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. We want to be on the stat line. And so if, if we want to be in the line of Christ, it has to be his power. We have to rely fully on his death and resurrection. If we want to live by the spirit and of the flesh, we have to rely on what he did. We have to remember what he did. That's why communion is so important. We need to remember that. For the record, Stacey King actually uh, rode Michael Jordan's coattail to not one, not two, but three championships. And so that's a pretty good career, even though for a guy who scored one point in this game, he got three championships out of it. There's something to that. And so if you want to be in the line of Christ, you have to rely on his power on what he did, on his death, on his resurrection. And here's the results of that. If we begin to rely on what he did, if we begin to rely on his grace, on his power, instead of trying to do it ourselves, and instead we respond to that, we'll actually see a greater result in our own life. If we're doing it out of response instead of will, instead of drive, and instead of power, and something like that, we'll begin to see a greater result in our life. Because now that you've moved into the line of Christ, now that he's picked you up and moved you into the line of Christ, when we respond, we show it. It's not a works-based thing, but when we respond, we begin to show it. Uh, 
author on Romans, his name's Scott McKnight, he, he wrote a lot on this stuff, and one of the things he said here is that um, those who experience God's grace become agents of God's grace. And I love that because I was a little kid in the backyard always playing like secret agents with my brother. And I didn't get to grow up to be a secret agent, but what I am learning here is those who experience God's grace become agents of God's grace. Meaning those who experience God's grace begin to, to show it and to apply it and to live it. It's lived theology. It's a section on living what you know. Acting out your grace. Living your theology. So how do we do that? Three quick things to close out. First one is this. Set your mind on it. Verse 5. He says, set your mind on it. That's got to be the foundation, right? We got to remember first what Christ did. We got to lean into what Christ did because he is the one doing it. So verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the flesh. You're living over here, your mind's set on it. But those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. We have to have our mind set on it. And I don't think mind just means thinking. I think that implies thinking. But I don't think it just means thinking. It doesn't mean like if I'm not thinking about like the Bible or Jesus like 24-7, then I'm clearly like not in the right. I don't think it means that. It's not clearly just every thinking you're doing. Instead, what I think he's talking about is, is more of like a mindset. What is your mindset? What are the way you're, the, the, the way you're processing, the way you're living life, your, your stance? How are you facing it? Are you directed towards things of the flesh or are you directed now? What's your mindset? And if we set our mind on it, then we see it play out just as Paul hoped. Because remember, Paul's talking about live theology and he's hoping for that live theology to play out in two ways. First, the public. He wants us to see us live out our theology to the public. And so he says, all right, we'll show it now towards the public. Live that grace. Be agents of grace towards others and towards first off, to the, just the world, towards the public. Be a model citizen. Don't cause any problems. Growing up, um, actually, just start here. Just a few weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? Last Sunday? Last Sunday. Oof, it was only last Sunday? <laughs> oh, last Sunday, we were at camp. And uh, we were up at the lake, and we're up at a place about 90 minutes away. We're at a lake. We're water skiing. We're driving boats. We're having fun in that lake. And um, I've grown up going to camps at that lake. And for most of the time, my mother has been the boat driver. So my mom's the boat driver. She teaches kids how to water ski. She teaches kids how to wakeboard, to do all these different things. And my mom does it because she's very intentional. She's very thoughtful. She's patient not only with the kids, but she's patient with all the rules. She's very safe. She does all these kinds of things. And my mom for years was, was the boat driver, and, and she had this this kind of a, a pride thing where she had never gotten a ticket on the lake. This, this lake is very heavily monitored and people get tickets like that. And she was very proud she had never gotten a ticket. The same could not be said for all the other family members in the house, but for my mother, she never got a ticket. And I still remember this. One day we're sitting on the beach, I see our red boat driving by, she's teaching a kid how to do it, and all of a sudden sirens. A boat's pulling them over. And all of us on the shore are just getting so giddy. We're like, oh yeah, her day has come. I don't know what she did, but it doesn't matter. Her day has come. And we're so excited. And so they pull in the, they have to pull in the skier. You see him writing a little ticket. You see him give it to her. And she drives into the beach. And we're just all ready to let her have it. We're like, oh, getting ready. 
She pulls up to the beach, and before we can say a word, she shows us the certificate they gave her that reads, best driver on the lake. <laughs> what? I didn't even know they did that. Came with a free scoop of ice cream. And, 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 and I learned this thing where it's, it's be a model citizen. You may not think people notice, but they notice. They noticed this boat that they never had to, to, to pull over. They noticed this boat that was never causing problems, that was always going the extra mile, and they noticed. And so Paul's saying, live out your theology. Be a model citizen. Live out your theology, as in be peaceful lives, and, and show clearly that you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And we know through this that loving your neighbor means all sorts of people, but sometimes it means loving your neighbor, your literal neighbor next to you. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. I can think of uh, a family in our church, uh, they're, they're the DeWitts, and there's a time where they love their neighbor, their literal neighbor, uh, I think in a really great way. Because uh, one of their neighbors is a, a little girl, a little blonde girl, her name's Molly, and um, they, would, they would just bring Molly, who is this, this little homeschool girl, and they'd bring her to all these different youth events, when she didn't have a ride, they'd bring her to all these things. And what I saw through their continual love of Molly, and then through the youth group's continual love of Molly, is over the year, here was this shy girl who would want to sit in the back, kind of want to be away from everyone. And with each growing time, she would get a little closer, a little closer, a little more involved, until all of a sudden now she's like at the center of the group. And when Molly comes, everyone would cheer, and everyone would be excited. And you could see just through their continual dedication and love for their neighbor, a literal neighbor, someone's life was changed. Well, the last thing he would say is, show your lived theology towards the church. And this was big for them, because remember, they're the weak and the strong. They're fighting each other. They're butting heads. They're not getting along. So he's saying, you need to live your theology at the church. If you're in the line of Christ, the first thing that means is your siblings, your family, you can't get away from your family. You've got to get in there. You've got to fight for them. You've got to get together. You have to live a life marked by open and welcoming fellowship. Right? He's saying you've got to come to the table and you've got to stay there when it gets really awkward. You cannot get up and go get more mashed potatoes when Thanksgiving dinner gets uncomfortable. Right? You've got to sit there and you've got to love your family. And then finally he says support the mission of the church. Support them financially, but also support them with your time and effort. If you have something that you love, see if it can make an impact here. If you have something you love, see if you have a, something you can use it to make an impact here. Final little story. Uh, yesterday, we have this surf day. Um, so we're trying to go do a surf day. And I don't know if you know, surfing is very hard and exhausting. I'm very sore. I can't do this. Okay, serving is hard. We have this surf day. And this surf day is only possible because of two people. We only had the surf day happen because Tim Meyer and Peter Bond showed up. I could not have done it. And I frankly wouldn't have done it. Right? It was only possible because of these two people. And I think of it especially, one, they both love surfing. I was talking to Peter and he's like, I say, hey, where do you surf? He says, all over the world. Like, I love surfing. It's my passion. And he's sharing his passion with the next generation. They're not only bringing surfboards. I think, I think they lugged like five or six surfboards in the back of their car. They're not only bringing surfboards, but they're out in the water, just floating out there, waiting for another kid to come so they can help bring them into the wave and then like give them a push 
to get going. That's using your passion for the church. That's using your passion here. That's supporting the mission of the church. I don't know, they might not remember that day, but we'll remember that day. We'll remember the impact they had. And so remember, he's saying, remember what he's done for you. Remember what Christ has done for you. Let it wash over you. There's these two lines. There's the line of Adam. There's the line of Christ. Be here. Remember what he's done for you. Sit in that. Right? Do communion. Remember what he's done. Remember his grace. Don't try to be on the scoreboard. All right? That one point didn't matter in the game. Don't try that. Just sit in it. Ride his coattails to the championships. And as you do, as you breathe it in, in doing so, begin to live out what the Spirit is doing in you. Let that become your mindset. Use it here and use it for the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, for what you're doing, God, for what you've done, for, for the truth that uh, you have scooped us up from uh, the path that leads to death, that leads to sin, that, that leads really to loneliness. God, and you brought us close to you. You brought us into the line of Christ and, and, and you've saved us, God. And so I just pray for everyone here, for me, and just for everyone, that we can just rest in that. We can rest in that truth. God, that you've done it. You've done the work. Let us rest in that. And as we sit in it more and more, let it begin to be something that we can show to others because that is, that is what you've created this for. So God, we love you. We trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.